Um, So let's just bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of prayer. We thank you, Lord, that we can come with our voices and know that as we do lift our voices, we are before the very throne of God. We have presence. We have an audience with the Lord Almighty and you hear our prayers. And so, Father, we pray for those that you have in our church congregation today. Pray for Ruth. We thank you, Father, that she is here today. We thank you for her resolve that no matter how she is, that she finds herself here and that is just absolutely amazing. We pray, Father, for continued healing for her. Pray also those same things for Pastor John. Father, we pray that uh, his recovery, recovery will be thorough and quick and uh, Lord, that you might bless him with healing. We pray, Father, for Del and Fred, who themselves are going through some trialling times um, so far as health issues. And so, Father, we want to commit them to you as well. Father, we do pray for Leanne's mum. Uh, our desire, Father, more than anything, is that she would come to know Jesus before she takes her last breath. Uh, as Leanne has made aware, she is dying. And Father, our desperate plea is that she does not find herself in a place that will be shocking for all eternity. That in, even in these last days that she will, by the grace of God, hear the call of God on her life and name the name of Jesus. Lord, in that we know that there is great comfort and there is great peace whether we are dying or whether we are unwell or whether we are struggling with any sorts of issues within our lives, Lord, the peace of the knowledge that Jesus will never leave us nor forsake us is all-consuming, it's overwhelming and it's all-powerful. And so, Father, we thank you for that wonderful promise. So we commit these people to you, Father, all those who are other that, that we haven't named this morning who are suffering for whatever reason, We commit them to you. You know their names. You know your plans for them. And so, Father, we commit them to you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. How good is our God? Not very good by the sound of that. (laughs) How good is our God? Yeah, absolutely. He is awesome. How how good is it that we can come before him and, and lift our prayers and and know that he's right here with us today. My prayer is that as we listen to the message today, as God is speaking to our hearts, the Holy Spirit will do something amazing in you, that he will bring a transformation in you that you have no idea about, that as you leave this place today, you won't be the same as what you were when you entered, that God has transformed you more into the image of his Son. That is my prayer for all of us, my prayer for me and my prayer for all of us. Last week I think I led you astray. I said last week was the last message on Ephesians, but guess what? It's not. There were a few verses left to go, but I, I, I didn't. I kind of thought, no, I, I can't finish them all off. Message time is too short. It would have been okay if I had an hour, but I would have been waking people up, I think. So today is going to be our last message on the series. This time around, I promise. Um, Pastor John had planned to begin our time of um, prayer. Now, I didn't finish that. Uh, Actually, we will have three weeks, the 21 days for prayer for revival, and then followed by that will be four more teachings on prayer. Um, 
So expect that. It's going to be amazing. I'm really hoping and praying that you will allow God through this teaching to do some work in your heart so far as your prayer life. So yes, Pastor John was going to begin that series this week, but you know, I twisted his arm. I didn't have to. I said, hey, and before I even said anything, he said, yeah, push it back a week. So it was all good. Uh, with the remaining verses that we're going to talk about today, uh, today, I think it's actually going to support what we're going to be doing for the next seven weeks anyway. So it's, uh, again, how good is our God? Amen. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> he is so good. Uh, since this is the last message, I promise, on the letter to the Ephesians, I just want to reiterate this morning the, the importance of this, this letter to us as Christians. It is so, so important. Just like all of the letters are, but there's something about this letter that is really unique. It's about the way that Christians ought to live their lives through the profession of faith that they have in Jesus. So, though we are finished speaking the message, preaching the message, I pray that we keep visiting back to that book just to, to, to remind ourselves of the incredible promise, the incredible instruction that we find in there. If I was to highlight the important points of the last few messages that we've been bringing with regard to spiritual warfare and the armour of God, I guess I would do it in... Well, this is what we're up to. I forgot my PowerPoints. We are up to Ephesians 6... 18 to 24. This is what we'll be speaking through today. So if I were to talk about the three important things with regard to the spiritual warfare and the armour of God, these would be it. The imperative of the word of God in the life of all Christians. The second is the imperative of the truth of God found in the word of God for all Christians. And the third, the imperative of prayer to God, out of the truth of God, found in the Word of God for all Christians. I finished last week with the point that to put on the, uh, the armour of God ultimately means that we are putting on Christ. And the way we do that is that we need to pray it on. We need to pray Christ onto us. Remembering, of course, that we, this is spiritual clothing and it's spiritual protection and it's for spiritual living and we need spiritual means to be able to put the clothing on that we need for this protection. How many of us here today, and I want to show of hands, how many of us here today think that prayer is a good thing? That's most of us, I think all of us. How many of us really, really want to pray. Yeah. I think most of us do. I think most Christians have this desire that they want to pray. But I have one final question. How many of us actually do pray? Don't put your hands up because there may be a lot down. And what I mean by that is how many of us pray regularly and continually for all the saints and for all the lost on all occasions because that's what the scripture asks us to do. Isn't it funny that all prayer is is simply words that we can bring to God. We can bring them verbally, we can bring them from our hearts, we can bring them from our minds without even saying a word and we can bring them no matter where we're at, no matter what it is that we're doing, we can pray. But it seems as though 
It's the hardest thing to do. We can do all sorts of things in Jesus' name, but when it comes to praying, it seems it's the hardest thing to do. We have large numbers of people come to our church building for all sorts of reasons. It might be Christmas carols, it might be our time of worship, it might be any other reason, but when it comes for the church to announce a prayer meeting, oftentimes the church is never so empty. I wonder why this is. Is it because we think we've got it all together? I don't think so. Or is it because we don't see answers to prayer, so what's the point? Well, maybe so. Maybe that is something to do with it. Maybe it's the mindset that we have that, well, God already knows what he's going to do, so what's the point in prayer? Maybe some people think like that. But of course, one of the other things that we struggle with when it comes to prayer is time and priority. We actually don't put the priority of prayer very high on our agenda when God puts it right at the top. Whatever the reason, this is sometimes what happens. But hopefully by the time that we're finished today, you might see another side of prayer and how I would love to love prayer more and how I would love for all of you to love prayer more, to love prayer, not dutifully pray but love to pray. So we're going to read our passage this morning. Ephesians 6, 18 to 24. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whatever I speak, words may be given to me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Tychicus, my dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. Peace to the brothers and sisters and love and faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And I didn't advance that through, did I? Thank you, guys. In the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. I wonder, I wonder if the Apostle had ever had the thoughts that are in this passage. That I wonder if he ever had thoughts of doubt where he may have been struggling, personal doubt. You know, God, Paul was an evangelist and here he is, he finds himself locked up and he says, God, I'm locked up here. I wanted to come to Rome and bring the gospel, yes, but look where you have me. I'm stuck inside these walls. Are you finished with me, Lord? Are you done with me? Of course, that's not in the Bible. Don't find, you won't find that in the Bible. These were just my ponderings as I was reading this passage. I wonder if he felt he needed to warn the church about the feelings of uneasiness that maybe he had. Maybe this sense of delusion that the devil had brought on him through doubt. But no matter what it is, the reason that Paul wrote this letter, we can look in Ephesians, Philippians 
chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. It says, Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Actually served to advance the gospel. And even when I read that, it was kind of like, it sounds like it was a bit of a surprise to Paul. Here he is in jail, but it's like, but you know what? God has actually allowed me to advance the gospel in here in a way that I could never have done it before. I get to influence Caesar's household from the position that I'm in. And maybe Paul might not have had that same opportunity had he just been in the streets talking to other people. He goes on to say, I'll read that again. Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Now this Praetorian Guard were a a guard of 10,000 very highly trained soldiers in the Roman army, in the Imperial Army. Even so powerful that Caesar himself had to remain in good confidence with them. Otherwise, he may have felt under pressure. But here we are. These are the same people who were guarding Paul under house arrest. And here were the ones, these were the ones that Paul had the opportunity to preach the gospel to. Powerful people. You can't keep a good man down. No matter what the reason that moved Paul to writing the letter, the issue is the content of the letter. That's the important thing. And as is usual for all scripture, there are layers and there are levels and the deeper we dig, the more amazing it is and the more transformational it is what it is that we read. When we read deeply into the scriptures, we find it's also mobilising. It empowers us to go out and do. So let's do some digging. Verse 18, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. It sounds like a bit of a dim dim question, but what is prayer? Well, we know that prayer is conversation. It's a conversation between a person and their God, their deity. Now, that could be anything, any God that we form in our mind, any God that we decide to carve with our hands or any other God that we decide to set up. If we have conversation with that God, it's prayer. But of course for us as Christians, the designation of the term God is the one true God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And it's our conversation with Father, Son and Holy Spirit that is prayer. Interesting fact though, as I was doing some research, is that in the scripture there is never one example of a prayer to the Holy Spirit. I don't know if you knew that. Now, I'm not saying that it's wrong to pray to the Holy Spirit. I'm just saying that the Scripture actually never provides us an example of prayer to the Holy Spirit. Yes, we are commanded to pray to God. Uh, The the Lord's Prayer is such a prayer. And Jesus, people prayed to Jesus. We see that Stephen, when he was being stoned, he cried out to Jesus. And we see the reference to prayers to Jesus in other places in Acts and throughout Corinthians. Again, 
I'm not saying that it's wrong to pray to the Holy Spirit. It's just that the Bible doesn't give us examples to do that. But what it does do is it tells us in verse 18 again, and pray in the Spirit. It might not say pray to the Spirit, but it definitely does pray. say pray in the Spirit. So let's work out what that means because I had no idea what that meant when I was a new Christian. Pray in the Spirit. You say these things but you're not telling me what it means and I think it's really important that we know since the Bible tells us that we should. And the thing is is that as we have professed faith in Jesus, evidenced by obedience to Jesus and repentance towards him, then we are filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what the scripture tells us. 1 Corinthians 12.13 explains We are all baptised by one spirit into one body. The moment we profess faith in Jesus Christ, we are spirit-filled. All the way through the book of Acts, we see the counsellor, the Holy Spirit, the one that Jesus promised, he turned up. He turned up evidentially. He manifested, he showed himself in people's lives. And then... As we have been filled with the Spirit, then we have the possibility that we can pray in the Spirit. Interestingly, I think that as Paul says, so pray in the Spirit, if he says, (coughs) excuse me, if we should pray in the Spirit, then there seems to be the possibility that we as Christians can pray when we're not praying in the Spirit. So what's the difference? Well, I think One of the ways of of knowing whether we're praying in the Spirit or not in the Spirit is whether we see answers to prayer. Perhaps if we're not receiving answers to prayer, perhaps we're not praying in the Spirit, we're not praying the right prayers. To pray in the Spirit is to pray those things that are the will of God. Jesus said in that great prayer that we see in the garden, Lord, if this cup should pass from me, but not my will, but yours be done. He knew the right way to pray was to pray the will of the Father. In Psalm 37 verse 4, it says, We take delight in the Lord. No, it says, Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, so often, when I first read this verse years ago now, I thought, Whoa, I belong to Jesus, so anything I pray for, I'll have a new car. That new house, my fishing rod, oh, my great business and all of these sorts of things that I could just come as a Christian and pray to God and then he would give me, give me what it was that I desired. But I think that's a really fleshly way of doing it. That's a carnal way of doing it. And, but I think what we need to see is that we need to see that what God is saying here is he is going to plant his desires in our hearts as we delight in him. When we delight ourselves in the Lord, he will give us new desires. He will transform our hearts to start valuing the things that he values and we'll start praying the things that are his will. The question is then, how do we know what aligns with the values of God's heart? The answer is, of course, we find it in the word. We find it in the word. Knowing how God speaks, knowing what God wants in the world, knowing what he desires of us and through us is all found in the word of God. That's where it's found. 
And this has been a strong theme for us as we've been going through our Ephesians teaching the Word of God. And I remember years ago uh, somebody saying about Baptist preachers, they preach um, the Holy God. They, 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 sorry, they preach the Father and the Son and the Holy Scriptures because we seem to focus so much on the Scriptures and not on the Holy Spirit. But the reason why I'm focusing on the Word of God now is because that's been our emphasis throughout the, throughout the whole of our teaching. It's not to the exclusion of the Holy Spirit. It's not to the exclusion of all the other ways that God speaks to us. But my emphasis is on the Word of God. We are a Father, Son and Holy Spirit church. Don't get me wrong. But underneath all of that is Holy Scripture. The more familiar we are with God and His things, the way he wants things done in this world, what he wants to do in our lives, the more easily we'll know the right way to pray. And when it comes to all those choices in life, choices about relationships, choices about career paths, choices about what, how we will respond when people antagonise us or persecute us, about how we should pray for our children, about whether we, how we should pray for them. Lord, take my children, use them for your kingdom purposes, even if it costs them their lives. How we should pray for our spouses. And when we come to know how God wants us to pray in that space, through knowing how he speaks in the word of God, we will start to see answered prayer. We know we'll be praying those things that God wants us to pray. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Now, that is easy, isn't it? No, it's not. It's not easy. It's something we actually have to set our mind to do. It's a conscious choice that we need to make on a daily basis. Today, Lord, I'm going to wake up and I'm going to pray all kinds of prayers on all occasions. And even when you fail that day, you get another chance the next day, but we have to set our mind on it. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16-18 says, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Why should we pray like this? As I said earlier, we are in a spiritual battle and we need to clothe ourselves with Christ every day and we need to fight that war on our knees. However, there are some other good reasons to pray like this. There is a question perhaps you've asked, I certainly have asked it and I know that other people have asked this question and this is the question. If God knows who he's going to save, why evangelise? If God knows, if God saves those he has planned to save, why do we have to worry about having faith? If God already knows who it is that he's going to save, If God will bring about all that he has planned to bring about, then why pray? I know that people have asked this question. <clears throat> the question again then is, can we, through our prayers, change God's mind? Can, can we make him go in a different direction? If we could do that, then our God is not sovereign. 
if we as little people could change the mind of a great big God, he is not sovereign, he is not all-powerful. The thing is that God is never caught by surprise. Oh, Jim, I'm so glad you prayed that prayer. I never saw it coming. That's not the words of our God. Remember, he is all-powerful, he is all-knowing, he is all-seeing and we are not. So why pray? Well, the thing is, for some peculiar reason, God desires to use us and our prayer life in the work that he has planned in this world. And I really don't understand that. And one day when I stand before him, I know that he'll reveal it all to me. But he chooses to use us. He used the wickedness of corrupt religious leaders, the fickleness of impressionable crowds and, a, and, a, and, a, um, fearf- and the fearfulness of a Roman governor to bring about the necessary death of the Redeemer of the world. He uses us in his kingdom purposes God uses, our, uses and acts upon our prayers. From before the creation of the world, God knew every word, every thought, every action of every person. And God knew the ending from the beginning. He had it all planned out. Before the creation of time, he knew the prayers that we would pray. And this is hard to get our head around, but God is all-knowing. He knows those prayers that we would pray. Before we would even pray them, the prayers we will pray for the unsaved, the prayers that we will pray for our brothers and sisters in Jesus, the prayers that we will pray for the persecuted faithful, the prayers against a spiritual oppression, for some that we don't even know. I don't know if you've heard stories about people who have been woken up in the middle of the night and they're just compelled to pray and they have no idea what for and they find out later that somebody that they knew on the mission field has been under horrible, terrible persecution and to hear later that God in that moment of their persecution surrounded them by visible angels. These are the things that God uses our prayers to do in his world, in his kingdom. He knew all of these prayers and he built them all together like a masterful script writer to shape history and bring it about to an ultimate ending. Now these are big things to think about. They're big things to comprehend. Another reason, prayer draws us nearer to God. It is good for us Here we confess and repent of those things that we know have not been pleasing to God, those things that we know in our hearts that have not even been comfortable for us to be involved in. It's through prayer on all occasions for all kinds, of all kinds that we are declaring to God that we need him, that we desperately need and depend upon God for everything. And that's where we find our complete dependence on God. Prayer draws us nearer to God. Prayer encourages us who pray. We are encouraged 
when we pray for people. I don't know if you've experienced that. When you pray for somebody, perhaps even somebody that you don't like, the best way to pray for people that you don't get along, the best way to get into a relationship with people that you don't get along with is to pray for them. You can't despise somebody that you are praying for. And in that, it encourages us. We have to remember though, that the answered prayer is not because of some great thing or some great prayer that we have offered up to change God's mind. No, it is a great big thing that God is doing in our hearts to pray the prayers that he wants us to pray for the saints. Prayer encourages those we pray for. I want to just tell you, I had a conversation yesterday with a, a lovely lady of the church. Um, I, I had a conversation with Del Whiting and I hope it's okay from he, for, her, for me to share this. But one of the things that she said toward the end of our conversation was something like this. I don't know it word for word. It says, I am so encouraged that so many people from our church and other places are praying for us. It makes me happy to know that people love us that much that they commit to pray for us. Isn't that amazing? That when we pray for other people, they are encouraged. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. We find out, though, that as we, begin our, as we begin our prayer life, as we become more aware as we, of what it is that God wants us to pray, we become more alert to those things and those people around us that God wants us to pray for. Paul reminds us that of the type of prayers that we should be praying. There are people in our church, the Lord's people. There are people in other churches. There are people all around the world who are the Lord's People and we should be praying for all the Lord's people, always praying for them. Pray also for me, that whatever I speak, words may be given to me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. Isn't it remarkable? Isn't it remarkable that the great Apostle Paul says this? Pray for me. Don't forget about adding me to your prayer list. I need to be there. And I think that's quite humbling that if somebody's so spiritually aware, so spiritually alert, needs prayer, then I should humble myself and ask people to pray for me as well. I wonder when was the last time you did that? When was the last time you tapped somebody that you know on the shoulder and said, I need prayer. Please pray for me. Paul did this. If someone so mature and so sure in their faith knew that they needed to express their difficulties, say what was going on in their lives and that they desperately needed prayer, then we ought to as well. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me that I may fearlessly may know in the mystery of the gospel. 
Paul was so concerned that through his that he was particularly talking about the proclamation of the gospel here, but it wasn't limited to that. That whatever words Paul spoke, they would be the words that God wanted him to say. He was so concerned that the words that he spoke were always going to be the words that God wanted him to pray. Where would these words come from? They come from the Holy Spirit and they come from the word of God. They will be words from the new man, from, not from the old man of flesh. And we know that this old flesh in us is so powerful, it just wants to take over us all the time. But we have to choose to pray in the Spirit, through the Spirit who inhabits us. Paul acknowledged that he needs people praying that God will give him spiritual words, words from God, words that teach, that would build up and not tear down, words that love, words that convict, words of truth, words that inspire. Another thing that is striking when we read this passage of Scripture is that not once do we read Paul asking people to pray that the cell doors be flung open. Isn't that remarkable? Here he was in jail, but we don't hear him saying, you know what, I want you to pray that I'm released. Not once do we hear him say to the Lord, I want my freedom. Not once do we hear him complaining about the circumstance that he's in. No, what we see is a man who is willing to accept his circumstances and yet pray fervently for God to continue to use him no matter what. Despite his situation, despite his circumstances and I think that we need to get hold of that ourselves God, I hate being sick. What's going on? Why don't you heal me, God? Rather than, God, I am sick. And I don't know how you can use me, but I want you to keep using me, Lord. Pray also for me that whatever I speak, words may be given to me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. This is the call of every Christian. This is the call of Christians. None of us are excluded from preaching the gospel whenever it is that God provides us opportunities. Of course, there are some who have a particular gift to do that and they need people to pray for them for boldness and courage because it's those sorts of people who will stand fair on in the face of opposition. People like, like uh, evangelists and preachers and teachers and missionaries and school chaplains and so on. So that the mystery, that thing that was once hidden, that good news that was once hidden but now revealed can be preached to the world. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Paul says, I need you to pray for me that I will do the ministry, whatever ministry that might be for us, but for Paul it was his evangelism. I, I need you to pray for me that I will do the ministry that God has called me to do. That ministry that I should do no matter what and without fear. Paul was in chains. He was in, literally in chains. Yes, he was under house arrest, but the scripture tells us that he was in chains under house arrest. 
And surely for him that was difficult and surely it was uncomfortable. And maybe he would have preferred to be somewhere else but there was an incarceration to him that was of higher priority than the physical incarceration that he found himself in. And that was his incarceration to the Lord Jesus. Ephesians 4.1 As a prisoner in the Lord, Paul knew what he was to Jesus. He was a slave to Christ. As a prisoner in the Lord, then I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling you have received. Romans 1.1, Paul, a bondservant, a slave of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. So in verse 20, Paul says, I am in chains and I am an ambassador. When we come to that place of faith in Christ, because we become his representatives here on earth, we are slaves to him. We are his captives. That's who we are. When people find out that we are Christians, they will judge Jesus on the way you look, on the way I look. Whether we like it or not, that's what will happen. Ephesians 4.1, it says, Paul says in there that we will walk in the manner worthy of this ambassadorship. Paul obviously represented Christ well. Remember, he influenced the Praetorian Guard. If he wasn't a nice person, if he wasn't a loving person, if he wasn't a kind and generous person, an encouraging person, those guards that stood outside the door, they wouldn't have listened to him. He exampled Jesus well. He lived his Christ life in front of them so that when he preached the message, they were willing to accept it. Did you know that your prayers... Your prayers are as incense to God, a sweet aroma, pleasing to God. And in Revelation it tells us that your prayers, our prayers, the prayers of the saints are stored there in golden bowls as a sweet aroma to God. Your prayers, our prayers. Is this not amazing that God stores them for us? Finally, the faithful apostle wraps up his letter to the Ephesian church with more encouragement. Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything. Can you imagine what this must be like? Imagine putting your name there. Ruth, dear sister and faithful servant in the Lord. And this letter going out to all the churches. Phil, a faithful servant and dear brother in the Lord. How encouraging is that? How encouraging would that be? How encouraging would it have been to Tychicus? He's like, what? The Apostle Paul says this of me? And people everywhere are going to read it? I'm sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that, we, that he may encourage you. Firstly, the encouragement is for Tychicus. We are not so good at looking at Christian people within our church family or within other churches and seeing them that they are doing amazing things for God, that God is doing amazing things through them and going up to them and saying, you know what, bless you. I can see God working in you. We don't do that very well. We don't encourage brothers and sisters in their service to the Lord that well. 
Sometimes what happens is we tell other people, oh yeah, I saw that person doing this amazing thing for God today. It was awesome. Well, why don't you tell them? Why don't you encourage them face to face? I need that. I need to be like that, to encourage other people as well. Further, Paul wants to encourage the people in the Ephesians church by telling them how things are for him. I can imagine that they're there thinking, oh, the Apostle Paul that we love so dearly is in jail. He's locked up. What? Oh, it's going to be terrible for him. But, it, but no, he wanted to encourage them. He wanted to tell them, God is still doing amazing things through me. He's not finished with me. No matter my circumstance, no matter my change, God is still working. I want you to be encouraged in that because you never know a day when it might happen to you that you may be locked up, that you may be beaten, that God will still do great things for you. Still do great things for you. Brothers and sisters, I want to say to you today, that as we come into this world that's getting tougher and tougher and tougher to live as a Christian, to be free as a Christian, to be recognised by uh, the organisations and authorities over us for who we are as Christians and the freedoms that we have in that, we are going to find it tougher and tougher. It's already happening. But we need to be in prayer. We need to be encouraging one another. We need to be in the Word of God. We need to be praying for revival, first of all to start within us and then for it to flow out into our communities. That's the only way that God is going to be able to change our world, to change those things that are against us. We need to be prepared. Heaven forbid if a pastor should stand at the front of the church and say, what a great life we are in right at the moment. Things are going great and not to prepare you for what is about to happen. We need, in the midst of all of that challenge though, we need to reflect Christ. We need to reflect the example of the Apostle Paul that no matter our circumstances, we will represent Christ well. We will ambassador him well. And then finally, Paul reminds the readers of this letter, that's even us, what is theirs in Christ. No matter what their circumstances, these are the things that are available to the saints peace that passes all understanding no matter where we find ourselves. Love, a love that is so true, that is so wide, so deep, so high. Faith that even in our trials God is with us and he's standing there with us and even at times carrying us when we need to be carried. And grace, the goodness of God continually poured out on us for his kingdom's sake. All of these things come from the Father. They come from the Lord Jesus Christ to all of us who love him with undying love. Let's just pray together. Father, thank you. You are an amazing God. Thank you, Father, that we have this gift of prayer. Lord, you know that many of us struggle in it for whatever reason. And I pray, Father, for all of us. I pray it for myself. I pray it for my brothers and sisters here today and for your church worldwide that we grow to love prayer more. That it becomes 
almost like the breath that we breathe, that we gasp without doing it. Father, change us constantly by your Holy Spirit. Draw us into this presence of prayer more and more. For Jesus' sake. Amen.